prayer. Let me just give you a moment as you bow your head and as you bow in your heart to pray and talk to your Father in Heaven. Maybe you've come into this room this morning and you've been very busy and preoccupied and it would be a tragedy for you to just uh, skip through this time without giving yourself to God and making yourself available to Him. Maybe you've got challenges in your life right now, relationship problems, daily responsibilities that are making you weary, sinful patterns in your life that are destructive, that are addictive. Maybe you're new to church and new to faith. You, you, don't, you don't know about God. You, you're questioning who He is. You don't understand Jesus in your life. Whatever it is that's on your heart, God is here. He's willing. He's approachable. He's interested. He's caring. And He wants to meet you at your point of need and take responsibility for the things that you're carrying right now. And His call to you is to lay yourself, your burdens, your questions, your challenges, even your successes at His feet. So let me allow you to do that right now. Father, we want to honor you with this time. It's yours. Thank you for your presence and your power, for your all-consuming love. And my prayer is that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in your Son's name. To his glory. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I love speaking about this subject as far as parenting is concerned, not because I'm all that great of a parent. Believe me, I'm in very much in touch with my imperfections. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my family is present, so they can testify. And uh, that's not the reason. But I feel like it's such a need in today's world. Every parent in this room has a deep desire and a longing for their children to grow up healthy, to grow up loving God, to grow up with confidence, to grow up with purpose, and to grow up with a sense of 
God's presence and power in their life and your love for them, all those kinds of things. That's what we all want. But there are so many signals in today's culture. There are so many messages that parents are receiving uh, from, uh, from examples that they have in the culture, from media, all kinds of places. And all these messages tend to kind of push parents to one extreme or the other. And so we're in this message series called Balance. And by the way, we're ending the message series today. <laughs> today will be the last uh, one in this series in Balance. We've talked about so many things and tried to understand a perspective that in many areas of life, God wants us to have balance, that it's not either or, it's not extremes one way or the other, but it's both and. And as mature people, we need to understand and embrace the tensions of life. And in those tensions, we often find balance. And in those tensions, I'll be honest with you, we're going to see today, we often find faith. Because when we have every answer in advance of every question, we don't need God. And so many people live their lives with a set of kind of guiding principles and these are true come hell or high water. Well, in that situation, you've got every answer you need. You don't need God. You don't need His Word. You've got it all figured out. And believe me, as a parent, I don't have everything all figured out. It takes faith to be a parent, which really goes to a deeper point in and of itself, and that is God is often using our kids to grow us. You know, we think it's our job to grow them up. God uses them to grow us up. And I found that to be true. They're like a mirror that reflects back to me about my life and my inadequacies and and my needs and what I tend to do. And so many times parenting is about not what kids need, but it's so many times about what we're comfortable doing or what we enjoy or what we think is best. Rather than taking hard looks and saying, listen, in love I'm going to give my kids what they need, even though it's inconvenient, even though it may be uncomfortable, even though sometimes I look inside and I may not see the resources to do so. I'm going to trust God to give to them what they need, not what I want to give. And that's really what love is, isn't it? Love is giving to another person what they need when they need it. Not always what they want, but what they need when they need it. And so there are these extremes often that parents kind of go to. One extreme, you know, there's hyper-control. You know, we're trying to ultimately isolate and insulate our children to put them in some kind of bubble, you know. On the other hand, we have no control, and we see that often in today's world. You know, the kids are just crazy, and it's a free-for-all. And I, I remember being in a doctor's office one time, and a kid was just going crazy. And it, he was four or five years old, and the mother was doing nothing. And uh, he said to another adult that was sitting in the waiting room, I hate you. And the mother, you know, just sat there, did nothing. And I was just thinking to myself, my, oh, my, you know, what is this going to create in the long term? And, you know, I know that they don't want to damage the psyche and, they, you know, they're concerned about not squashing the personality and all those kinds of things. But it's crazy. That's an extreme. All the way to the other extreme of, you know, I've known parents who said, we don't have TVs in our house at all. There's no TVs. And my children are not allowed to watch any TV, that kind of thing. You know, all the way through until they become an adult, and then they go over to a friend's house, and they're like a cocaine addict. They, you know, they they watch. What is that? You know, that's a TV, and you know, so that's one extreme. All the way to where parents have, you know, by the time a kid is six years old, they have their own TV and their computer in their room, and there's six TVs in the house, and extremes. And extremes are often dangerous 
Because extremes take us to an edge. And we can totter on that edge. And what we see often when we go to extremes with our children, they tend to fall off. One extreme or the other. So there's a need for balanced biblical wisdom. And so when we're talking about the process of parenting, I want to look at a few passages of Scripture with you, but I want to remind us that what we're all trying to do is trying to have an understanding as a parent of the appropriate information and the interpretation of that information at the appropriate age. So there is a rate with respect to information and a rate with respect to the interpretation of that information. And God has placed us as parents in the role of giving to our children what they need. And I think we're going to see some powerful principles from God's Word here about this thing called balance. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is where it begins back in the Old Testament. And maybe you've never read these words in this light, but I want to share with you three pictures of a process. That's what we're talking about today. The process of equipping and empowering and encouraging our children ultimately to the point where they will be victorious in life. Well, they will not be victims, but instead that they will be conquerors and they will have those traits that we so want them to have in their lives as they push into adulthood. Three pictures of the process. So there's a progression is what the Bible is stating. There are kind of starting points and there are stages and there is ultimately roles and characteristics and behaviors that parents should have that are congruent with those stages in this process of child development. So Deuteronomy 6, let's begin in verse 4. Let's begin in verse 4. Now, remember, the Israelites had just come out of Egypt, and just the chapter before, God had provided the Ten Commandments through Moses up on that mountain, you know, and he brings down those Ten Commandments, and God had provided these for his people. And so now what is happening here is the introduction to the law. The law had been provided through the Ten Commandments, and now when we get to chapter 6, what we now is we have some meaning that's assigned to it and what the Israelites are exactly to do with it. So let's begin in verse 4. By the way, this passage has been called the Shema, Hebrew word for here. It's the first word in this passage. This is the foundation of the Jewish faith. This is it. And Jews will refer back to this as the foundation of their faith. Look at what it says, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in the context of a culture that day that was polytheistic, that had many gods, they had the God of the sun, God of the moon, God of the, you know, the forest, God of the water, all these kinds of things. Here, God is proclaiming about himself that he is unique and that he ultimately is one, unity, oneness, wholeness. The Lord our God is one. And look in verse 5 now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, that is at the very beginning, and how over centuries Jews had lost and replaced the love of God with rules that they thought God wanted them to follow, I don't know. But they got it all upside down over time. But here in the very beginning, God is saying, listen, I'm one, I'm unique, I'm whole. And what I want most from you is for you to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. 
And you remember that Jesus referred to this passage when the Pharisee came up to him and said, what's the greatest command? And Jesus didn't blink an eye. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul. All right, verse 6. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Not just upon your mind. It's not enough just to know them. To be upon your hearts. And then look at the expression of that. Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Another translation will say, teach them diligently to your children. It's the word teach, but then there's a modifier to that word. Teach diligently. The NIV translates it impress. The word literally means to sharpen to the point of readiness. To sharpen a knife to the point where it's ready to cut. You get the image here. As parents, we are to sharpen our kids with knowledge and information so that they are powerful and effective in the world. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Now, some people have interpreted this to mean that, well, what I'm supposed to do is every moment of every day, I'm supposed to hammer and force feed religion to my kids. (laughs) That's not the point here. The point here is, as you do life, God should be a very natural and organic part of life. And there are teachable moments along the way that, that, you know, God is not just a Sunday thing. But as you do life, as you get up, as you walk along the road, talk about them at home when you lie down. Okay? Okay? Next verse, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And of course, the Ten Commandments were new at this point, and there was a need for them to get this front and center. And so the Jews eventually kind of replaced this with writing the Ten Commandments on papyri, uh, kind of a fabric of that day, and then they would roll it up and place these scrolls on the right door frame of the home. And so it was a way of reminding them Visible reminders of God's law always being present. Now, we're going to skip through a few verses, but verses 10 through 12 is the admonition to remember God and that when times of prosperity and abundance come, don't forget God. And then in verses 13 through 19, it's it's not about forgetting God, it's more of fearing God, that you are to fear the Lord your God, that you are to revere Him, to be sure and keep your commands and to not test Him. Don't play with Him. God is holy. God is just. Remember that. Fear Him. Revere Him. And now skip down to verse 20 because this is illustrating what we're talking about today. In verse 20 it says, In the future when your son asks you... So here's the, here's the gap. Here's the give and take. It was a time where there was a need for the information. Here's the emphasis, information about God. And now we go down to verse 20. In the future, as the son gets older, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulation, decrees, and laws of the Lord that he has commanded you? The ideal here is that a son, a child, comes to a parent and says, what does that mean? Now, Three or four years old, five years old, we don't get abstract questions like that a whole lot. We get kind of the non-abstract why, 
You know, you, why? Well, because, why? That's different. Kids, as they get to be 8, 9, 10 year old, begin to understand abstracts. They want to assign meaning, not just knowledge. And so here's the ideal. As the son get old, gets older, he asks, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws? The Lord our God has commanded you. Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us up out from there to bring us and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and always be kept alive, as is the case today. If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So we have an emphasis here. Here's the picture. The ideal here is in the beginning verses that we are to teach, we are to impress, we are to sharpen with the knowledge of God our kids. Information. Later is interpretation. And we're going to talk about the difference in how we actually accomplish those two goals. But the, the point here is that there is a progression that takes place with respect to the rearing of our kids and how we are to equip them. Second picture is from Proverbs 22.6. That passage says, train a child... So now here again is an ongoing process. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. So many parents have taken this to mean, well, I should direct my child and tell him or her what he is to do, how he is to do it, that kind of thing. That is a part of it. The directing aspect is a part of it. But I think what this verse means, and we kind of skip over this, is there is certainly the directing and the giving, but from the parent's standpoint, it is also about discovering. Train up a child in the way he should go. I've learned that with my 18-year-old, there's a way that he should go that looks different from my 13-year-old, that looks different from my 11-year-old. As a parent, my job is not to dictate so much as to discover and to help them become who God has made them to be and to help them reach the potential that God has for them. That's the ideal here. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. And by default, you train up a child in the way that he shouldn't go, he will depart from it when he's older. So again, the process. And then Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Here's the third picture of the process. And I know that this is in relationship with Jesus and the disciples, but the point here is this, is that Jesus was uh, uh, giving influence and leadership, and he was training the disciples to a certain degree, and it illustrates the process that I think is appropriate for you and me as parents to think about. In Matthew 1.17, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he said to the disciples, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, I will make you. Fast forward three years. From that point in time, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus didn't say, come follow me and I will make you. He said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, therefore, you go and make disciples. Follow me, I will make you. You go and make. There was an empowering process. There was an equipping process. Those two big bookends serve to provide for us an ideal, a picture of what our parenting can even look like in how we influence another person. 
What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, in the beginning, he said, I will make you. A very strong directive, teaching, top-down, I will make you to become, I will teach you, you will follow my example, I will tell you what to do, I will show you. All the way to when he finished, now you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And what does he say on the end of that passage? And by the way, just so you'll remember, in case you forget, I'm with you always, even to the end. So, what we see in Scripture are really two concepts. And I'm kind of adjusting this from a leadership model that I learned years ago. But I like to think visually. Some of you may not be like that, but I like to draw boxes and flow charts and that kind of It just helps me. And I want to provide that with you today because I think it will illustrate the progression for us from the standpoint of what we give kids at the beginning of their journey compared to what we give them at the end. And it's revolving around these two ideals. Children in the balance are children who experience from their parents both direction and support. You think about what is the job of a parent? That's really what I do. I teach, I give, I show, I provide example, I direct, I tell. And on the other hand, I support, I encourage, I listen. And by the way, let's be clear. Both of these are about love. We tend to think that this is about love. Well, I love my kids. If I love my kids, I will direct them. I will tell them. So what do these two concepts look at? Look like? Let's look at these concepts in the balance. And there are some words that are going to describe these concepts for us. Biblically, what are the principles? First of all, direct would be about information. We've already looked at that before. Support would be about interpretation. Direct would be about teaching. Sit down and I'm going to teach you. Support is about providing example. Direct is about telling. Nothing wrong with that. Support is about not telling, but listening. And maybe asking. Direct is about rules. Support is about relationship, not rules. These are, these are focuses that we have. Doing one not at the expense of the other. Doing one not totally without the other, but focusing. So rules and relationship. I really get some of this from James Dobson. Some of you have read his books before. Dobson has this great little equation that I've remembered for years and years and years. He said, rules without relationship equals resentment. You have a bunch of rules without love and support and, and emotional attachment. You build resentment in your kids. But he said, on the other hand, relationship without rules creates rebellion. So you know parents who are all about relationship, all about love, all about support, all about coddling, without rules. You know, that creates a little rebel. 
that's what that creates. And they take that into adulthood. I was reading some this week, and one author talked about this sense of entitlement that kids have when they're younger, and they, they want what they want, and they want it when they want it. And so many parents are actually giving that to them. He said, I thought this was interesting because I never connected the dots. He said, what that's created in our culture in adults is a litigious society where we sue because we didn't get what we thought we should have got when we thought we should have got it. And so the San Francisco Giants were sued because on Father's Day they gave gifts out only to men. Imagine that. Seems appropriate, doesn't it? A psychology professor sued for sexual harassment because there was mistletoe at a Christmas party at the college. A psychic was awarded, didn't just sue, but was awarded $986,000 because she claimed that a CT scan that her doctor had ordered for her and that she did, had ruined her psychic abilities. And I thought, well, if she was psychic, wouldn't she know before the doctor's appointment (laughs) not to do the CT scan? (laughs) It's crazy. And so rules and relationship. Discipline, from the standpoint of direct, nothing wrong with discipline, parents. And then grace, equipping on one hand, encouraging on the other hand. So, the appropriate responses as a parent at the appropriate time based upon the need of the child. And you say, well, the big question is when. When do I give what? I don't know. That's why you've got to pray. (laughs) That's for you and God to figure out. Because there have been moments when I gave grace, when the Lord made me give grace, when I wanted to give discipline. And there have been moments when I've given discipline, when I wanted to give grace, I wanted to be liked, I wanted to be approved by my child. But God said, no, you've got to follow through. You need some consistency here. It's going to hurt them worse to not follow through than the other way. So that's why we must pray, and that's why we must have faith. I have prayed myself on many occasions, God, I don't know what to give. Please lead me. Please help me. But if we're talking about the normal development, there is this way of thinking about our roles as far as parents are concerned. This is where we're going to finish up today. Four roles for balance impact that really bring application to this. Go back to those verses. Train up a child in the way he should go. Teach them, impress them upon your children. When they get older, interpret that information for them. What roles do they look like? Well, let's start with this graph. The first role that we're going to have is the role of being a teacher. A teacher. And if you notice this continuum... There's directive behavior on one side, and then on the other side, there's supportive behavior. So you go from low support to directive, from low support to high support. This is the way it kind of works. So when I start, and usually this is 
you know, in those early years, those zero to six or seven years old, my role primarily is a teacher. You listen, I will teach you. Now, there's some people that are uncomfortable with that role. You need to get more comfortable with it. I tell parents all the time, listen, if you will do the hard work of directing your child those first six years, disciplining them, telling them, showing them, you will give your child a precious gift. And seven, eight, nine, ten years old gets a lot e- easier. But you've got to do the hard work up front. I don't know why God made it that way, but he just did. So my first role is to be that of a teacher. My second role is to be that of a model. Now we get to ages 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, right around there. Kids are wanting interpretation. And child development experts tell us that the greatest time where children will be influenced by their parents, you think it's those early years, right? That's most of the assumption. The greatest time is really those ages, those very formative years between 7 years old and 11 years old, where your example, not what you say, but what you do where you model. So whereas in the first box, the emphasis here would be upon equipping, in the second stage of kind of my parenting process, the emphasis and the focus is upon example. I need to be the right kind of example. This is when kids are very open to coaching. All right. Third role is the role of mentor. And you've noticed, if you see that little wave, we kind of crossed over the tipping point. We've gone from more directive to more supportive. Remember, it's not totally void of direction, but the focus becomes more supportive. And so kids get to be in that adolescent period. The key there for us is that we will be a mentor, where we say to our children, and we try, and we kind of push them out of the nest a little bit and say, listen, you do it, and I'll advise you. I'll help you. I'll advise you, but I want you to do it. And so we now are giving more responsibility to our kids. We're helping them understand responsibility. We're trying to teach them about handling things on their own. Those early teenage years are really, really important. So as a teacher, my goal is to equip. As a model, my goal is to be an example. As a mentor, my goal is to encourage And then we go to the last point, and that is a friend. Now, some people say, well, you're the parent, not the friend. Well, there is a friendship dimension to parenting. It's not all that parenting is. We shouldn't only be their friend. But I love having companionship with my boys at the age that they are right now. They get jokes that I tell right now, (laughs) which took a while. Kaylee still goes, what? You know, but... We have this fun time together in a unique stage of life, particularly with my oldest one, that is so different than what it used to be. And it is just fun. And that friendship dimension, I'm still the parent, but that friendship dimension is such a blessing. And doing the hard work after all these years and to see the fruit of that is such a blessing. So now my focus is to be someone who empowers my son or daughter. I empower them. I give over to them the keys. I trust them. And I become a friend. So the message here is you go for it. I'll support you. 
you go for it, I'll support you. I'm not going to leave you. Remember Jesus said, lo, I'm with you even to the end. I'm always here. But you know what? My parenting is just almost done, apart from the fact of being a counselor to them, apart from the fact from being a supporter, apart from the fact of being a reliable resource that they need when something happens. That's the progression. Now think about this progression. As a teacher, what did Jesus say? In the beginning, follow me and I will make you. High direction. At the end, now you go and make. And he developed in those disciples that three-year process, experiences that would equip them, experiences that would encourage them, experiences that would empower them. What he provided for them was direction and support. What he provided for them was these roles. And remember toward the end of his ministry in John, in the Gospel of John, he said, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you my friends. This is the way it works. And it's powerful. But you've got to remember the principle that we give to our kids what they need. Some of you look at this stuff and you say, yeah, I really like that, but boy, I'm not really good at that. Well, you need to get good at it under the Holy Spirit's power. You need to be the kind of parent that will direct, but also the kind of parent that will support. Have you ever had those conversations with your spouse where you say, well, why am I the one that's always disciplining? Or, you know, you might say, well, why don't you ever encourage? Why don't you ever support? Why don't you ever listen? That's the ideal. And the Holy Spirit will help you through faith in Him. James Dobson is such a wonderful teacher with respect to parenting and key principles from the Bible. I heard him on the radio a few years ago. He told a story about his relationship with his father. His father was an evangelist. His father was gone a, a whole lot, would travel from place to place to place, and was gone. Well, James Dobson, believe it or not, you may not know this, but as a teenager, he became very rebellious and, in fact, got in some trouble with the law. I think he and a friend took a car and took it on a joyride, and police stopped them and all this kind of stuff. His father did something that James Dobson has never, ever forgotten and has always been grateful for. His father quit being an evangelist. He found a church where he could go and pastor, where he could be there for his son. And I think James was 15 or so at that time. He said, my dad came home to be for me what I needed in my life at that time. He says, I've always been grateful for it. It was a sacrifice for him to do so. But I've always been grateful that my dad gave me this gift. His availability, his input, his direction, his support in my life, right when I needed it. That's the blessing of parenting. And it calls for sacrifice and it calls for commitment. But some of you who are drained of your resources right now, are thinking to yourself, I just, I don't know how. I want to invite you to turn to the Lord 
and turn to His words and seek from Him the direction and the support that He longs to give you so that you in turn can give that to your children. So let's do this. Let's pray.